This is your Field is Our Office. I'm field agronomist Jay Zilski, and w- with me is my neighbor to the south, field agronomist and producer of the podcast, Ashley Storby. Ashley, there's been a lot going on down your way since the last podcast, both out in the field and in the Storby household. I heard there was a couple of birthdays. There was Jay. Thank you for thank you for mentioning that. So I turned 35 and then our oldest son turned five and lots of celebrating to do. And it's just a fun time. So oh, a lot going on. How's it going up there, Jay? It's you know, Ashley, I, I hear about the birthday. So a couple of things. One, you know, I, I I'm really impressed. I'm extremely impressed that you actually share that information, that you boldly share your age. And then the other thing, uh, folks, is I happened to follow Ashley on Facebook, and she had a posting of her five-year-old son. He got a cotton-picking dirt bike for his fifth birthday. And I was like, wow, I think, you know, if I could turn back the clock, I might want to be a Storby kid because that looked like that looks like a lot of fun. I know I didn't have anything that fun growing up back in town, Ashley. So, oh, boy. Um, Jay, you know, you mentioned how as we lose our hair or we get gray hair, it, it aids to our credibility in this business. And I think the dirt bike is a ploy for me to have gray hair really quickly because, boy, that's a <laughs> that's quite a situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I showed that picture to my wife and her first words were, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. <laughs> no. Well, Ashley, uh, I suppose we probably better get started with uh, our agronomy discussion. We got a, a lot to cover. Uh, focus later is going to be uh, keys to success with the E3 uh, enlist production system in soybeans. And we've got um, territory manager on the Corteva crop protection side, Jim Harriman, with us. But before we get to that, uh, I think, Ashley, there's been a lot happening out in the field. Maybe you can share with uh, the listeners what you've been seeing. And, and then I'll kind of chime in and then we'll get on with our guest. You bet. So in review, you know, for listeners, I on my east side, I go to Mauer County, and my west side to Faribault County, and then up north into Wasika, um, Steele, a little bit of Dodge. Um, and we've had really variable conditions depending on where you are in that part of the geography. Um, but something that we're all in on together right now is most of the crop is in the ground. Um, some areas are done with corn, done with beans. And the area where we've slowed down is largely in that Wasika County area that received so much rain there on, um, that would have been May 12th. And from those rains that we had, even throughout the area received rain that day, depending on on where you were, you know, dictated the quantity, but we've had some pretty heavy rains that have generated crusting conditions across the area. And of course that's variable depending on the soil type and the tillage activity and the amount of rain. Um, and then the severity then is impacted by if there's crop under that crust and when that corn or beans were planted, if they've made it through before the crust formed. So a lot going out, going on in the territory, Jay, um, a lot of rotary hoeing or some conditions where we didn't see the crust in time um, and that crop has already started to deteriorate, be that corn or beans, and then we're going to take another crack at it. Um, and then in our in our flooded area um, that received so much rain in that New Richland, Wasika County area, um, we're starting to get a handle on what's what that crop is going to give us, you know, what's going to survive and what's not. And it's going to be a lot of um, dinking around for guys as they figure out where they need to patch in and where they don't and what that best decision is. So we've encouraged the guys that we talk to, you know, be patient and get your favorite beverage, cup of coffee, you know, op, whatever it is, and just settle in and, and 
and it'll be done. <clears throat> it'll be done and, and we'll make the best job of it. But um, and we've seen some PPO interaction with beans planted that first week of May. Uh, we were getting dry and some guys were thinking about um, making their seeding depth a little bit deeper to get into drier, uh, more uniform moisture in that seed bed. And then yeah. those that that had a pre on then thereafter, that pre sat in dry dirt. And then once we got moisture from that rain, those beans had kept growing because they were in moisture. They had then made it to that hypocotyl being exposed, that crook stage. And then we saw some interaction there. So oof, that was a mouthful, Jay. What are you seeing up in your neck of the woods? Well, Ashley, you know, I wish I could say that we were <clears throat> almost to the home stretch and done planting like like you say you have been and so it's, it's kind of a mixed bag across my area because i stretched northwards of from mankato nicolet sibley on up into mcleod counties but then also down um into um blue earth county to the south of mankato and really you know two distinctly different situations where um a lot of the acres were mostly planted in that area south of mankato and had to deal with some of the challenges of those excess rain events as as you've suggested and as reps have been out scouting those fields you know they're definitely seeing the value of of tile uh definitely as you go over the tile lines there's some nice full stands and you start to go further away and so it's created some challenging situations as far as making some replant decisions uh you know now is a good time to be making those uh, assessments in that area and certainly we have some situations where uh, we had some uh, water ponding from those rains uh, there that weekend 12th 13th 14th of uh, of May and you know we always tell folks that you know you typically figure between two and four days is the survival of uh, a seed um, in soils such as that that are saturated so that stuff's not out of the ground by now. It's, it's likely that you are going to need to uh, consider replanting in those areas uh, when you have a chance to uh, to get going. And to the north part of my territory, uh, actually, there's a lot of planting yet to be get done, both corn and soybeans. The beauty of it is the weather forecast we have for this week looks like it's going to be really favorable to get a lot of this work uh, done. So that's, uh, you know, so a lot of guys say, well, at least we'll get a chance to uh, plant for the first time. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, and, and actually one of the things that, you know, we've, we've talked about in the past is it seems like every year there's a, a day or a series of days that end up having been the worst days to have planted corn or soybeans. And oftentimes you don't know until after the fact and, you know, dates that I keep hearing about, uh, particularly as I get to my east and south, would be uh, right around that that 5th of, of May, which we actually had kind of referenced during the show that we had some overcast days. Things weren't really drying off after they were tilled, but guys wanted to get the crop in because there's a forecast of rain. And now some of those fields got kind of hard. Uh, and there's some of those challenges there. And then that other date would have been the 12th of May, um, of course, right before that deluge of, of rain over that over that particular weekend. And so, you know, the earliest planted stuff this year isn't necessarily showing some of the challenges, but it's stuff that was planted in that time frame. Can't make a blanket statement that everything in that window has challenges. But as folks are either waiting for fields to dry up to finish up, planning or if they're all wrapped up you know encouraged to focus your scouting attention on on those particular fields 
um, Ashley. Yeah, it's it's really turning into a um, a, a field by field situation in terms of determining the best uh, practice in those Wasika County areas for me, which which can be fairly exhausting because we can't create a blanket recommendation. So a um, lot of conversations and, and it's it's good to see the the weather is nice this week. That is such a silver lining to keep everyone's heads up. Absolutely, Ashley. Couldn't agree more. And it is interesting because just visiting with one of my my sales reps, Dan Ireland, who's in the uh, Mankato area, you know, commenting at some of the things he's seeing out there this year. You know, in his 50 years of being associated with uh, farming and, and crop production, he's seen some things out there that he hasn't seen uh, uh, in the past. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's some definitely some challenges out there. You know, I think one of the things uh, Ashley is with the rains that we had and a lot of folks went into the growing season with plans as really a best practice in soybean production and corn for that matter, laying down a pre um, and then following up with a post-emerge herbicide program. Particularly, we have some of those challenges with tall water hemp in, in soybeans. And so as it turned out, folks got a lot of uh, crop in the ground, say around that uh, 12th of, of May, didn't get it sprayed, and now those beans are up. So now all of a sudden, you know, some of those options as far as those pre-emerge herbicides isn't there for them anymore. And so, you know, whether it be that or some of the other uh, nuances associated with the E3 production system, we thought it would be great to have uh, Jim Harriman, of Corteva Crop Protection with us. He's a return guest. He was on on the show last year, and hopefully he's noticing just how much better Ashley and I are at this than than a year ago, you know, (laughs) shortly out of the shoot. Um, And Jim, as as we welcome you to the show, you know, since we had you on last time, you and your wife have a new addition to the the family, a new fishing buddy. Is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, Our daughter, Taylin, was born in January, and uh, Killian is really coming around to uh, being the good big brother, so uh, all all is well here in the Harriman household, and uh, so so good we decided to add a puppy into the mix here too. So uh, qu- quite a lot happening. Wow, those are tiring, but e- those are exhausting but wonderful times. You know, we can. It's amazing how little sleep a person can run on, um, and I'm sure you are experimenting with that right now between a puppy and a baby and a toddler. Oh, that's a lot going on. But we appreciate you taking time, Jim, out of your busy home schedule, busy work schedule to spend time with us and our listeners. Um, and and we have a, a lot to talk about today. Jay really cued us up really well. So what do you think, Jay? What should we ask Jim first? Well, Jim, you know, I think I'll just kind of allude to my kind of my introductory comments. So we got a lot of guys out there that weren't able to get their pre's on. And, and again, folks, just, you know, kind of provide some context here. We're really talking more specifically, since better than 80% of the acres out there are E3 and less soybeans. Note that our, the comments that we're making are, are specific to the E3 production system. So, Jim, guy got didn't get a pre-down. Now what does he do? Uh, what's, his, what's his best uh, steps forward here with that E3 system? Yep. Um, you know, there's a few other options that, I'll say are still categorized as a pre that can go on once the beans come up. Uh, nothing in a Corteva lineup, but there's a few out there. The biggest thing that I'll say to keep in mind is with Enlist, is we don't really get a lot of residual out of Enlist or really zero 
um, that make sure that we're doing something with that pass uh, that we have residual. Adding in a group 15, and I think is going to be key for this year. Um, and keeping those fields clean longer is going to be the, be the key. The other thing that I'll say uh, with the enlist system, you know, there's, we can maybe think about using that burner uh, early. Uh, we'll get some of that residual out of that product um, because we don't necessarily need it post. And, and most of the time, you know, with, with the, the burner chemistries, they're going to work when things are small, maybe not when the weeds get so big. So those are a couple of things that I'll say are been coming to mind. So, okay, help us, help us seed people out. Uh, Jim, you say use a burner more specifically. Can you, can you get a little more specific with regard to that? Yep. Uh, you know, so the kind of the flex stars, the blazers, uh, the reflexes of the world uh, are, are maybe a good option to think about using here early on. And, and so are you, you looking at those as a as a standalone tank mix with enlist? Uh, how, how do you see that shaking out here, Jim? Uh, so it depends a little bit on the products that maybe those contain. They're in a lot of premixes, so there could be some good options there as a premix that you could do that as a uh, go out here early just because, hey, I didn't get my pre. Now it's dry enough. I still want to have something that acts like a pre. Or you could definitely mix those in uh, with, uh, you know, that po that early post application that uh, we're going to end up being out, out there much sooner than what we had initially planned if we did get the pre down. Okay. So, Jim, appreciate that. Um, as we're thinking about the conditions that that some of our, our farmers are in this year, um, you know, Jay mentioned we have conditions where we weren't able to get the pre on. Um, we also have these conditions where in these wetter areas, we're going to be really delayed on even getting into to replant, but much less getting into spray. And some of these weeds are are getting fairly sizable. Um, to the fact that they're, the the pre activity isn't going to take them down, um, so you mentioned including a burner option. So that's that's a really wonderful option. Um, if a, a farm elects to not do that, as they make that first post pass, um, be that you know if they're planning enlist in their post, should we be coaching farms to be looking for the availability of Liberty to add in with that post application to help take down some of those bigger weeds? Yeah, Liberty and Enlist are always going to be a great option. Um, I will, I, I will look at that and say that uh, until I'm blue in the face. Those two together have two great modes of action going to town versus kind of maybe relying on the life, the, you know, the the Enlist side of things. If you know, we know there's some glyphosate resistance out there. So, but the thing to kind of keep in mind, uh, where I'll say I maybe get a little bit indifferent. I get asked all the time, should I do Enlist Liberty first or should I do Enlist Roundup first? is going to be what has Mother Nature given us at the time. Uh, as we go out with some of this, uh, Liberty can definitely be a uh, kind of a high maintenance product. Uh, you know, we need to have the right weather conditions. So want it nice and sunny and want it nice and warm, um, you know, not dropping too cool at night. And, and that's something as we get start getting into this early, uh, right now the extended forecast looks okay, but I'd say, you know, we're today we're maybe gonna cross 80, but. We're going to be flirting in that 70s and still dipping down to be pretty cool in the evening. So Liberty is 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 a is a good play, um, but I'll say it's also a very expensive play right now, as well as availability is uh, maybe a little tight. So if we have the Liberty, let's make sure we're using it uh, on a day when we know what's going to work. 
versus just saying, hey, I'm going to go use it because um, I think I need to. Uh, there may be something else, again, like a burner or something else maybe we can add in a little bit uh, for a different weed spectrum here on the front side. And Jim, I think you know one of the things that I I think about you, you mentioned the cost associated with uh, with Liberty, and and yet as we're as we're referring to the situations where folks didn't get a pre down, and some of the conversations I've been having with folks is okay, well now we're just reallocating those dollars that were previously set aside for your pre. Now we're going to shift them towards that post program, and that's going to fund your your liberty. And I don't, that's maybe not a straight up trade off, but at least that's how I, I look at a lot of those type of situations. Yeah, I would say that is a great way to start positioning or to have the think the thought about it. Because if we start, you know, some growers may get a little sticker shock when they just hear what liberty is going to cost, especially as we've seen the glyphosate market kind of crash here over the winter. That that's per, that's down to being very economical. There's quite the spread between uh, glyphosate and glufosinate now. Interesting, yeah, very interesting here, Jim. And you know, I think uh, I'd like you just to backtrack. I hear really, you know, you, you gave me an excellent new thought that I hadn't considered. Where we don't have these pre's down, that certainly a person could go with a a burner early here, uh, a burner that has some residual, maybe even a burner with some glyphosate, and then be following up with uh, with uh, Enlist a little bit later here as well. Uh, you know, and that maybe actually addresses, you know, the next thoughts I had on my mind, Jim, is, you know, last year, one of the things I saw, and it's, it's maybe kind of a unique situation, but it always makes me just a little bit nervous, is had a uh, situation with a grower a year ago, was not able to get his pre down, um, and then, uh, you know, came in and uh you know what we saw was we saw a fair amount of black nightshade and smartweed come through that program and so then what is our best what's our best options with enlist or tank mixes to to address those weeds if people happen to have those particular weeds on their farm yeah if we know there's a kind of a known issue there uh, you know again the, the, the pre-side is kind of a great way for some of those to get taken care of. But uh, again, adding adding in, you know, a burner or in those cases, maybe, hey, let's make sure we're putting that Liberty up front, uh, knowing that, um, you know, some of those may also be a little bit on the glyphosate side as well. So. Well, I appreciate the nuance in that. <clears throat> and, you know, I might be missing it. I haven't, I haven't ran into some of those nuanced weed species Um early season as thick as I have, and this one kind of jumps out and grabs you, so it's easy to see, but um, of course the the ragweed emerging early, and then the water hemp is really the the weed that troubles most farms in our area from being able to keep it back throughout the season as it emerges, you know, well into the season. Um, so it's really important for us to to focus on, on water hemp as we craft a good weed management plan. So Jim, as we're thinking about um, water hemp in the enlist system. Can you talk to our listeners about if water hemp is their number one weed that they're thinking about, how do they keep that weed back in the enlist program? Uh, yeah, I mean, spring early is key when it comes to water hemp. The biggest, best thing we can do is to, you know, actually get something out there before we really even see them. So we had the pre down, you know, kind of set the calendar. I'm going to say, hey, let's plan on 21 days, hope that we're out there by 28 days. 
uh, is really kind of the approach that I like to take when we look at water hemp. Uh, those pre's are going to start to kind of kind of pitter off by that time. But as we're spraying early, spraying often, and especially this year, adding in something, you know, like a layered residu residual product, like a group 15 uh, is going to be, I think, key. Um, and then, you know, kind of going back to, you know, hey, how's Mother Nature been? And, and, and having that audible of should I use glyphosate or should I use a Liberty? Uh, and that maybe that first pass, I think, is also going to be key. Uh, as we start to see water hemp, you know, our labels are always going to say six inches and under. Um, you know, this year we may see some challenges that stuff starts to get bigger. That may also be a good reason to audible to a Liberty pass with the enlist. Okay. You know, Jim, it's, you know, the label on, um, you know, enlist says two to four, you know, generally one to six inch weeds. But then on water hemp specifically, two to four inch tall weeds. And I know one of the observations I made a year ago, or really, you know, farmer feedback to me was, I mean, four inches is four inches. <laughs> and, you know, I think last year, um, you know, folks enjoyed the luxury of not having that calendar cutoff date with enlist. And so they maybe weren't in as, in as big of a hurry as they they should have been to get the enlist in ply, applied. And some of those tall water hemp plants were bigger than six inches in height. And they maybe weren't overly thrilled with the results or they probably had less consistent results in those situations. And, you know, I think my takeaway from last year was you know, guys held off on adding Liberty to the tank early on because it was expensive with the hope that they were going to be able to knock it down with that first application of Enlist, okay? Then, you know, in, in some situations that didn't happen, and guess what? They had to invest in high-priced Liberty <laughs> and another pass across the field. So, you know, maybe I'm just too aggressive thinking here, Jim, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I keep thinking, okay, when in doubt, get Liberty and add it as a tank mix partner to uh, enlist if you're thinking those some of those weeds are maybe getting a little bit bigger than ideal. Is that is that overkill on my part, or do you think that's a realistic approach? No, I think that's a realistic approach, Jay. And, and the thing that I'll say to keep in mind when we look at stuff getting bigger, it's never ideal, but to have both Enlist and Liberty going after those, I mean, we start to have a bigger factory. And that's the thing to think about with Enlist is that that bigger factory is, and with how Enlist works is it's growing into death. You know, it's not like a burner where we take that point and we start going backwards. They physically need to grow into death. So if that's a bigger factory, uh, it's just more energy for that plant to keep growing through the just Enlist application. So we have two modes of action out there with an Enlist and a Liberty. That's you know, just more work trying to take down that bigger factory. You know, Jim, I just had like an inspiration here of <laughs> a, a perfect analogy is kind of like, okay, it's kind of like, okay, Kirk Cousins is a pretty good quarterback, pretty darn good quarterback, okay? He's one of, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And you add Justin Jefferson, and all of a sudden he becomes 
an amazing quarterback, an amazing <laughs> team. That sounds like enlist in Liberty to me. And I don't, I don't Energy. know about you guys, you know, and, <laughs> and I know we got some Packer listeners over there. So I, I apologize if they're offended, but that's, that's my thought is, is they really do make a good uh, matchup together uh, as well. Uh, but, you know, on a serious note here, getting back to the, the addition of the group 15s. That seems to be, regardless of the system, we're always talking about that layered residual of the group 15. Um, we in, in a little bit here, we'll talk about surfactant recommendations for um, enlist and key tips for success. But, you know, how do we, do we adjust this surfactant load some if we are happen to be throwing a group 15 in, or is it specific to the group 15 herbicide, Jim? Uh- it's a little specific to the group 15 herbicide. There's some out there that are encapsulated in different things, so they're not quite as oily. But general rule with, with adding in a group 15 is we kind of already call that our half rate of oil. So, you know, I'll always say we want to run like a gallon per hundred of crop oil within list. So if you're adding in that group 15, you maybe want to look at that and say, hey, I'm only going to add in a half a gallon per hundred. And, and having that oil within list has been key. I'll actually say that uh, Enlist works better the more it has with it. Uh, so when we start throwing, you know, glyphosate or Liberty and all the goodies that go in with that, you know, throwing in a volunteer corn killer, just it seems like the more that's in it with Enlist, the better off it works. Uh, you know, this year we may be tempted to say, hey, I'm going to go out and spray some Enlist just to clean up some things by itself. Uh, I still think it's crucial. Uh, if we're going to do something like that, we'll, we don't like to do that, but make sure that, hey, we're still running some AMS with that. We're still running that gallon per hundred of crop oil because uh, having those surfactants within list is definitely uh, a game changer. You know, um, Jim, can I ask, you mentioned AMS. Can you remind our listeners the, the recommended quantity, quantity of AMS in the list pass? Yep. Uh, so if, if it's like an enlist and glyphosate, uh, I always kind of just say two to three pounds. But if we start mixing that with the Liberty side of things, Liberty is always going to want a little bit more. So most guys will actually lean on closer to three to four pounds when mixing that with uh, with the Liberty side. So, okay. you know. Well, Jim, I think, and Ashley, I think that's a, a good lead in to maybe going down kind of, you know, it'd be your five or however many keys to success with uh, Enlist. Uh, Jim, we want to make sure, one, ensure that folks have their absolute best uh, results with Enlist um, on weeds this year. And, and for me, I mean, am I am I wrong? Oh, is, is nozzle selection, should that be, I mean, I keep thinking nozzle selection and weed size, maybe two of the, the biggies, um, is, would you say that's correct? Absolutely. Um, nozzles are key. Uh, and I, we've actually changed some of our, uh, our literature here last year and actually kind of went to a, a yellow and green type of approach on some of our nozzles. And what I mean by that is actually there's nozzles that are approved for Enlist, uh, like a lot of the dicamba tips are approved, but that doesn't make it good for the actual application. So uh, personally, I'll say if, if you're done with dicamba, Let's be done with those dicamba tips because uh, we're just not going to get the coverage that we need out of those for the enlist side of things. Uh, T-Jet's a very common one. Uh, my personal favorite is an AIXR um, just because it's, you know, a lot of guys already have them. Um, and uh, they're, they're pretty economical if you're looking to do a new set of tips as well. 
but uh, the, the big thing with nozzles is going to be to you know make sure um, that we're running that you're running 15 gallons of water uh, at least within list, and also make sure that we've seen you know that Canva made us a little bit gun shy, but we've seen that if we're running in the higher pressures within list, that gives us better coverage as well. So we got a little gun shy with pressures with that Canva because we didn't want those fines or had, you know, didn't want something maybe going to a neighbor where it shouldn't have within list. We don't see those issues. So we want to see that pressure range. Um, you know, if we're, if we're 40 to 80, I'm going to say we want to be that 60 plus on the pressure side of things with, with that individual nozzle to make sure we're getting that coverage. Well, that's wonderful. And, you know, I, I think we've we've had enough time to observe this system in the field to understand the implications of those nuances. And that's what I really I really love about the system is as we've had an uptake in in farms using Enlist, we've learned more to be able to optimize that system for them. And and I've been so impressed with with the performance of the nuances as, you know, appropriate amount of water, appropriate on nozzle selection, um, appropriate pressure. And, you know, I, I think I'm jumping over you here, Jay, but I'm really curious, you know, as we talk about learning things about the system, one of the early learnings was was managing volunteer corn um, in this system. So Jim, can you talk to us about if we're adding a volunteer corn killer, how we adjust the rate in that pass or what your recommendations are? Um, absolutely, Ashley, that is something uh, we've kind of been open and, and honest with, I'll say from the get-go, is the antagonism. It's definitely real. Uh, when you look at trying to control volunteer corn, um, personally, I'll say I think we need to be kind of 8 to 12 ounces, uh, no matter what your flavor is. We used to say add a third to your rate. Well, depending on uh, what your practices were, adding a third to that rate just might not be enough anymore because uh, we were using a pretty small amount to begin with. So. Uh, I, I like to say, let's be in that, you know, kind of eight to 10 as the corn starts to get bigger. Uh, we maybe want to make sure that we're uh, up in that rate as well with the corn as it starts to get bigger. Also, the big thing is with volunteer corn, the grass killer always likes to have oil with it. Uh, so make sure that we're running crop oil with it. I'll say I've seen a little bit, um, you know, that MSO maybe gets it a little bit too hot. And what I mean by that is I think the MSO actually will maybe make the enlist work better, but it actually maybe makes that antagonism in the tank a little bit harder. Uh, so I like to just stick with straight COC from from what I've what I've seen from my experiences there. So just a couple things on the volunteer corn front. And Jim, as you talk about that MSO versus COC nuance, that would apply to if you're introducing a corn killer into the mix, right? Not just a, a general recommendation with the enlist pass. Correct. Correct. Yeah, okay, um, you know, but in general, too, uh, the, the COCs seem to work just fine uh, if we're spraying Enlist in a, in a glyphosate, maybe without a volunteer corn killer, too. So. And, you know, Jim, I think one of the things that I think is is interesting, and I think it, it's important our listeners listen closely, is I, I know that there's a number of folks out there that because of some of the challenges associated with the antagonism on the um, volunteer corn killer, that they've looked at, you know, coming back and making a separate application, um, you know, so that it's you you avoid some of those antagonism situations. You know what I keep thinking this year, the way this growing season is playing out, 
<laughs> I don't know if many guys are going to have that luxury or choose to to do that and say, oh, the, the importance of knowing this as far as, you know, increasing those rates, that that eight to 10 ounces on the, you know, on, on the, the volunteer corn is a smaller up to 12 ounces when it gets larger. And I think, you know, if a person's going to air, if they're making that tank mix, air on the high side. Um, and, and then again, I thought another important distinction that you shared is just that if we're going after that volunteer corn, that it's maybe going to be favor uh, using the COC rather than the uh, rather than the MSO. So um, those are some some excellent points. Um, you know, we we talked about you know Liberty enlist tank mixes, kind of in general. And so I'm, I'm going to rattle off what 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 I think I, I heard you uh, say, Jim. And and I think the, the key thing is is that when we're making that particular tank mix, we maybe want to go with a minimum of 15, maybe prefer if we can get up to 20 gallons of carrier. It's, you know, having some some good weather conditions, warm weather conditions are going to make that Liberty work even better. You know, uh, warm, sunny weather is, is going to help it work better. You talked about the fact that one of the things that we maybe do there as opposed to the tank mix with glyphosate is goosing up that AMS rate to maybe three or four pounds. And is there anything I'm missing as far it's it's it sounds to me like it's it's carrier volume, it's uh conditions at the time uh, of application, it's those additives. Is there anything else I'm I'm missing there? The only other piece that I'll say where I've become a big companion big companion to the enlist in Liberty is if we if we're making that second pass and there's already some stuff dinged up uh, it seems like that dinged up weed uh, is always harder to kill it kind of gets that shield up so I also think that's another great point to look at using you know the enlist in Liberty to have those two modes of action going after that dinged up plant um, versus something that uh, has been a little healthier and and this year we may see some of those even in that first pass from a from it might be dinged up from from the iron, right? It might be something that mm. kind of got hit with the digger and kind of started growing sideways. You know, those those weeds always are harder to kill too. So um, that's just something that kind of keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, they they look like they're only only four inches tall until you you pull them and straighten them up, and then you, they they went sideways for about four inches, and they're actually about an eight inch tall weed in reality when you're trying to control them, Jim. Correct, so, uh, correct. Excellent, excellent points. Uh, Jim and Sal, um, you know, I think uh, you know, we, we talked about it early, just the values of making uh, those tank mix applications. And I actually, I think we're to the point where maybe uh, call on you to summarize um, some of the key points uh, of today's discussion before we bring it to a close. You bet. I, I so appreciated all of your your comments and, and knowledge that you shared, Jim, and, and the, the points that you reiterated or shared, Jay, um, some things that I took away for our, our farms that weren't able to get a pre on their beans. And now they need to likely make a change in the plan because they have emerged soybeans um, that won't, that are, are, are not able to be sprayed with the intended pre. Then an option that could come into the plan is using a burner like Flexstar um, and then ensuring that you include a residual product as well with the the group 15 activity to help keep those weeds at bay. Um, and, you know, Jim mentioned in terms of best practices in the enlist system, but, but in weed management in general, 
spray early, spray often. So once we have that application down, making that plan for 21 days uh, later to be making that next application to ensure that we're able to control those weeds that it, that will emerge once that group 15 um, is no longer active um, to be able to control those at a time that that we can take them down before they get too big. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, and then we asked about using Liberty in that um, first pass as well with our enlist and, and what the merit is that of that um, early versus later in the season. And Jim had a wonderful point in that we need those really nice sunny warm days to get good control out of our Liberty. And that is an investment right now. So if we're, we're between the two options, um, we would let the first pass then be if you want to do enlist in glyphosate um, and then maybe include that liberty in a later pass if you need it, um, if we have weeds that that begin to get into that upper end of the labeled um, control range for enlist applications. Um, another another key point that we we did reiterate a couple of times is just making sure we include that residual in that pass, whether it's our um, substitute for the pre as an early post or our post application. Um, particularly this year, I think it's going to be important as we have crusting issues and and reduced stands in some areas and stands that we're letting stay that are on the light end of, of desirable, we want to make sure that we're having a good extended weed control in those conditions and a good residual activity to keep those weeds at bay in areas that maybe see a more, little more sunlight than usual. Um, in terms of making the enlist system work best, we um, emphasize the appropriate nozzle selection. And Jim mentioned that um, we have a color system now, too, that it emphasizes yellow nozzles being approved, but not optimal, and green nozzles being our best experience, and specifically emphasize the, the TJAIXR. And Jim, can I ask if a, a farmer is listening and they want to know if their nozzle, current nozzle, is appropriate, um, where would you send them to reference that information? Yep, uh, I would encourage somebody just to go to the Enlist website, uh, and there's a whole laundry list of labels. Uh, I think there's... Oh boy, I don't even know how many. They just keep getting added. I've never seen anything come off. So, um, well, a lot of times, if you if you if you took a look at what you had and talked to your implement dealer, uh, as long as it's not your dicamba tip, you probably almost have one that's already approved. Okay, perfect. And then Jim mentioned also, as we look at the the appropriate pressure for that application, you look at your your nozzle and what the approved psi is on that nozzle, and and trying to be on the upper end of of that approved pressure. So he gave the example of if it's if it's 40 to 80, try to be 60 plus so that we get um, really nice droplet sizes for good coverage of the the weeds that are there. And if we're we're managing volunteer corn in that application, looking at an eight to 10 ounce rate paired with your enlist, acknowledging that there is some antagonism in that application um, or up to 12 in inches in a large, um, in a situation where that volunteer corn is getting a little bigger or maybe thicker, um, you know, more prevalent throughout the field. Um, and then if we are doing an enlist Liberty tank mix, making sure that we are at that 15 gallons of water, like we would be with enlist or up to 20 gallons of water, acknowledging that that, that helps our Liberty be more effective. Um, and then if we are doing that enlist Liberty pass, cranking up that AMS to three to four pounds can help you get the most out of your Liberty application there as well. Um, there's a lot there, Jay. Um, if we are adding a group 15, I would note that, that that does contribute to the oil load of that application so we can back our crop oil off to half a gallon per hundred um, versus one gallon per hundred um, as a general rule of thumb. So, all right, Jay, I think I got the key points. What do you think? You know, and I think I only have one thing to add, Ashley and Jim, and, it, and it's this, and maybe this is 
the grumpy old agronomist in me coming through. Okay. Jim said there's yellow nozzles. Okay. The yellow rated and there's the green rated. Okay. <laughs> Guys, why would you use anything? Farmers, why would you use anything other than the best nozzle for the situation? Why mess around? Why, why be cheap? It's easy for me to spend your money, but why be cheap using a yellow rated nozzle which you can get a green one to get the best control? It, it, to me, it, it, it seems like a, a no-brainer to me. Make the investment. As I always say, it's easy for me to spend farmers' money, but guys, weed control, getting your best weed control is huge to your success. So don't skimp on those nozzles. So uh, that's Preacher Jay for today. Um, but uh, Jim, before we close out this show, uh, any final comments that you have for our listeners as they take the field in the coming weeks here? Um, I, I just, it's something I say all the time, spray early, spray often. Um, but uh, think about this year a little bit is, is there something you can add to that pass that you're going to make? Um, cheaper than you can drive over that field again. And that, and there's a lot of things that we can do, you know, agronomically to enhance that pass, like a layered residual or something. In a lot of cases, that's going to be cheaper or about the same as if we drive over that field again. Um, the other thing is this year is going to be a challenge. We've got crop stages all over the board. So again, can we do something to buy us more time uh, to make sure we're going to get across all the corn acres before we need to get to the bean acres or, you know, yep, I'm going to, get I need to get this done before I go to some far away acres so you know think about some ideas you know brainstorm you know work with uh your agronomists your local retailers and just kind of pick your brain a little bit of you know can we do something to make sure um you know I don't have a train wreck going on because I needed to get across this acre before I could get to that one so Jim, I think that's some uh, some excellent uh, closing remarks, and and particularly, yeah, I like the fact that you, you know you, you said, okay, you know, do you have time to make another pass? You know, be smart and you know, consider making that. Do it right the first time. You know that that can if you're if you're on the fence wondering should or shouldn't you add liberty because the weeds are getting a little bit bigger. Do it unless you're totally prepared to come back in and make another pass or pay for another pass across the field. So I think those are some excellent points as we look at the challenges of this year. Every growing season has a different set of challenges. I think this year probably presents maybe some more challenges than other years. And, and I also like the way you refer to it as well. Be prepared to call an audible and maybe do some things differently in adjusting to the conditions that the uh, year is bringing us. So uh, time to close out the show here, listeners. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter. The show handle is at YFO Agronomy or me personally. Uh, you can find me at at SeedZeke. And Ashley, where can listeners find you on Twitter? At Ashley Storby. And Jim, um, what's the best way for uh, folks to reach you? Is it via Twitter? Is it via email? Uh, probably just by email or text. I'm a little old school on that front. So, um, but uh, yeah, find me all over. I I, uh, I do cross 35 now for the first time in my career, and I go all the way up to to Hutchinson now. So my my area has changed a little bit, but uh, always out and about. So oh, Jim, your email your email address then would be uh, Jim Harriman. H-A-R-R-I-M-A-N at Corteva.com. Is that correct, Jim? That is Got correct. It. 
in Ashley. Perfect. And we'll add those to the show notes in case anyone wants to find that. So, folks, you can join us on our next episode as we share more updates from our field. And then we're going to actually uh, have uh, Jeff Fetch, a uh, soil scientist from the Southern Research and Outreach Center, talk about um, supplemental nitrogen, side rust nitrogen, uh, potential for nitrogen loss with some of the uh, wet conditions that we've had this spring. So I think you're going to want to be sure and catch that. And if nothing else, I will report on my secret mission to Moab, Utah next weekend too. I'm not going to spill, not going to spill the beans, <laughs> but I will report back from the secret mission in Moab, Utah. So thank you folks for listening to this episode, uh, episode number 38 of Your Field is Our Office. Be safe and stay healthy. Thank you.